Welcome to the Locking Castle Church podcast. This Sunday morning teaching was given as part of the What is Love series. What is love? <laughs> right, I'm done. I just... <laughs> uh, this is our season on What is Love? Uh, we are looking at 1 Corinthians 13 every week for six weeks. Um, yes, there will be a test at the end. I think Andy Pierce is going to expect us to know it off by heart by that point. Um, and the reason that we're going over and over and over the same chapter, trust me, stay with me, I promise it's going to be interesting, um, is because we're looking at it at slightly different perspectives each week. Because the Bible was true and good and right for the people it was written for, and it's true and good and right for his people now. God is beyond time. He knew exactly what we would need, and that's we, as well as... Christians from a thousand years ago and Christians in a thousand years' time, please God. Unless Jesus is here, also please God. I will be looking at this passage from a historical context perspective. And I can hear the excitement. Remember, we've just heard that love is patient and kind. So please remember that. I know history isn't everyone's love. But I think we're going to get a, a much deeper understanding and hopefully give you all a bit of insight um, into why this passage, in my view, is so fascinating and interesting. But first, geography. There should be a map behind me. Thank you, Adele. Um, I think it's very important that we look at where we are as well as when we are. So, over here, you should hope be able to see Nazareth, Samaria, Judea, Jerusalem. Okay? Everyone with me? Everyone still awake? Fantastic. Um, So, that's where 99% of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what is Jesus up to? Where is he going? He's just there. He's just moving around in there. Paul, who wrote Corinthians, was born in Tarsus, which is just up. Can everyone see Tarsus? Yeah. This always really surprised me when I think about it, because I think of, oh, see, I get to move around again. Oh, so much better than it. Um, Tarsus, quite a quite a distance from Jerusalem, and we forget sometimes that even at this point, the Jews had been scattered. So there's quite a strong Jewish community in Tarsus. Paul would have been raised as a Jew, as Saul. He was very deep into Jewish culture, and he would have seen himself as just as Jewish as anyone born in Nazareth or Jerusalem. Corinth, however, is a wee way away. Uh, Corinth is right there in the middle. Now, I don't drive. I'm not really a traveler. Um, So I had to look this up. If you are traveling from Jerusalem to Corinth, even if you take a boat across from Ephesus, which I highly recommend unless you're a very strong swimmer, that is 14 days of solid walking if you walked for every minute of every hour of those 14 days. Just to give you an idea of how far this is. Uh, Now, thank you, Google Maps. Uh, That's eight hours a day of walking, that's 42 days, that is the equivalent of all of us getting, I don't recommend this, but it's the equivalent of all of us heading out of here, walking to London, keep going, through Kent, keep going, over into France, up through Belgium, across the Netherlands, you're still walking, over what I would argue is the majority of Germany, and Germany is quite a broad country, and then halfway across Poland. Just to give you an idea of why Paul's writing letters, not popping over for a cup of tea. Bless him. 
Corinth is a really long way away. When Jesus talked about going to the ends of the earth, this was the edge of the known world for Paul and the people that he grew up with. Now, Corinth was founded 800 years before Jesus was born. Now, to give you some historical context, when Corinth began to be a villagey city type of thing, Abraham had been called. He'd had Isaac, who had Jacob. Further down there is Joseph. Moses had gone out round and round around 40 years into the promised land. Joshua had overtaken it. We've had the founding of the nation of Israel. We've had Saul. We've had David. We've had Solomon. And we've had a little bit of the split. So you can kind of understand why Paul might have, he didn't, just for clarity, might have approached Corinth, who was founded at that point, going, I mean, I do come from the people who for thousands of years God has called and chosen to be his special people, and you guys literally just turned up. But he doesn't do that, and I think part of the reason is because Corinth's history is actually really tragic. About 150 years before Christ, Corinth was overtaken by the Romans, and the city was destroyed. And I want to be really clear here on what I mean when I say destroyed. Every single building was raised to the ground, and then the ground was salted, which means nothing can grow there, and every single man was killed, and every single woman and every single child was enslaved and sent probably at least 100 miles away. That's what I mean when I say destroyed. So Corinth ceases to exist for about 100 years. About 50 years before Jesus, it's refounded by the Romans. So by the time Paul visits, it's 50 years after Jesus, it's been about 100 years of Corinth in its current state. Are you all with me? You all look so fascinated. Come on, people, stay with me. The reason I'm giving you this mini-lecture is because we have to understand the people of Corinth that this letter's for. It's for a people where their grandparents refounded the city, probably, and I want to have that caveat, not every historian agrees on this, probably by force. Who wants to move to an abandoned city? Nobody. Nobody wants the hard work of starting again. And so what probably happened I'm convinced by the, the evidence. What probably happened is people were then enslaved somewhere else and dragged over and dropped and said, there you go, start a city, please. There might have been some free people, um, but they are probably not really one. Testing. <laughs> so, what? it's like she never left. Um, so, you've got this, you've repopulated Corinth from across the Roman Empire. That means a couple of things. Number one, no one wants to be there. <laughs> we are maybe two, maybe three, out oh, of push, maybe four generations on from that. 
But no one chose to be in Corinth, probably. It also means that Corinth is incredibly diverse because they've come from all over the empire, which means that people don't look like you, they don't speak like you, they don't eat the food you eat, they don't worship the gods that you worship, we'll come back to that. They raise their kids differently, they go to different schools, and actually there's not really a sense of community. The chief goddess of Corinth, every town or city had a chief god or goddess. There were other gods, of course, but there was one that everyone. That's Aphrodite. I have under-18s in the room, so I'm just going to let you think about the natural place that Aphrodite would take people in terms of worship. I'm just going to stop there. If you don't understand, ask your parents later. Um, Think about it like Las Vegas... But times a hundred. This is a place where you worshipped through gambling and through intimacy that was probably not appropriate. This is a community that's got growing pains by living together. That don't really want to build community with people who aren't like them. They'd rather stay in this little pocket of Corinth where everyone from the same place that got dragged here is still living. This is also a place in a community where Debates are still going on in the courts, and we have records of this, of who is a person and who counts to be treated like a person. Because obviously slaves are property, so who cares about them? But if a slave has a child, are they enslaved? And if a slave person marries a free person, does that person become slaves or do they both become free? So actually the ability to treat someone in a good and loving way was at this point literally being argued about because people didn't want to. Why pay proper wages if you can just own someone? Now, Paul spoke Greek as well as Aramaic. Jesus, we think, spoke Aramaic. Um, But Greek was kind of like English is now. Wherever you go in the world, you'll probably find someone who speaks enough English to get you to buy a sausage roll and not accidentally try to buy their daughter. But Paul was really fascinating, and I have a whole section here that I'm going to cut because we don't have time, but it's really interesting, and if this sounds interesting to you, come and talk to me. We have a period of silence in the Bible where God's voice wasn't heard for about three, four hundred years, some think it's 700, some think it's only two, it's hundreds of years where no prophets came. And what the Jewish nation started to do, the Jewish people started to do, was go, okay, so we've had all these great prophecies about Messiah. Great, love the sound of him. Riding on the clouds, getting rid of, yep, brilliant, sign up to that. So where is he? And what happens is that the Jewish community splits into five kind of main theories of why this hasn't happened. I don't have time to go into all of them. They're so fascinating. Please come and talk to me. The two most important ones for the point of this talk is you have the Sadducees. You may have heard of them. They're in the Bible. The Sadducees' approach was, well, if he's not going to turn up, eat, drink, and be merry, right? I mean, I can't just waste my life waiting for a Messiah. I may as well enjoy myself. Jesus wasn't a huge fan of that. But the second type is the type that Paul was raised in. And that's the Pharisees. You may have heard of the Pharisees. They're also in the Bible. And the Pharisees were like, no, 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 no. That's not the solution. What the problem is, is that we haven't kept the law enough. God doesn't know how much we love him because we haven't kept the law. So what we need to do is keep the law rigidly to a regimented point 
And if we do that enough, it'll force God to send the Messiah because he'll be like, well, there you go. They understand the law. I'm sure none of us have ever, you know, applied strict rules to ourselves and thought God will love me if I do exactly what I'm told. I'm sure none of us have ever, have ever thought that. Um, but the difficulty is, is that when you take the Pharisees' ideas to a logical conclusion, it's actually really dangerous because what it becomes is if you sin... It's your fault the Messiah's not back yet. And you're letting everyone else down. And that's why over and over and over again in the Gospels, and I really encourage you when, you, when you see the Pharisees in the Gospels, see what they're complaining about. Because to us, it feels so pathetic. Oh, he healed someone on the Sabbath. That's work. That's not allowed. And you think, uh, excuse me, did we, did we skip past the healing? But for a Pharisee, that's just one more day we've got to wait until the Messiah comes back and we are freed from the oppression of the Romans. That's on you, mate. And you're letting all of us down. That is the type of family that Paul was raised in. That is the type of person that he became. And when you read about Paul before he meets Christ, he's going around killing Christians judicially, which means it was considered lawful because the Pharisees were like, these people... They're preventing the Messiah coming back. It's a really challenging view of Paul because he had to undo and unlearn a huge amount of what he thought God wanted from him and from the community of Jews and the wider world. That's hard. And I I don't know all of you very deeply, but I'm sure there are people here or online who unlearn things have to unlearn things from their pasts because it's unhealthy and it's unhelpful and it's not of God. Conscious of time. Okay, got a lot here. We're not going to get to it. You're going to have to get me to preach another time because we're not going to get to it. Um, There's one more thing I'm going to talk about. Yeah, one more thing. (laughs) Emily's like, another hour, another hour. Thanks, Emily. One of the challenges of reading Corinthians or any of the Bible is that we're reading it in English and it wasn't written in English. It's translated. And that means that we necessarily miss a whole bunch of clever things that the authors are doing because it works really well in the original language and it's just not obvious at all in English. And I'm going to talk about one of those things, which is called a chiasm. I love me some chiasms. Right, this is what a chiasm is. A chiasm was a way of telling a story or making a speech or giving an argument in the Jewish culture. This is a very Jewish thing where you essentially structure it like an arrow. So the very first point that you make and the very last point that you make are on the same topic and then the second one and the second to last one are the same and on and on and on until you get to the middle and the middle one doesn't have a mirror and that's the most important thing and that's what... I can send these slides to people if they want them. I can see people going, up. Yeah. I'm not expecting you to read all this today. Fear not. Chiasms are incredibly common in Jewish culture. They're all over the place in your Bible. You may not have noticed them because in English it's not so obvious. But, for example, the opening of Genesis is a chiasm. So it talks about day one, day two, da 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 Then it has Sabbath, and it rests on Sabbath. And then through the creation of humanity, it kind of reverses. So it's like, all right, we've got, we've got Earth, so we've got that. It names the animals, oh, the animals and the birds, and then it goes down, 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 and at the end of the day. 
And so it has this point with this pinnacle, and the pinnacle is a bit that the author really wants you to focus on, which in Genesis is Sabbath, resting with God, being with him. Now, there are chiasm, chiasms all over the place. I mean, Job has four, and they make a super chiasm, which, again, I don't have time to go in on, and I really want to. Um, <laughs> oh, what I really like is that Paul is so clearly unable to step away from this way of thinking that 1 Corinthians letter itself is a chiasm. So, if you write out all the main themes and then color, whoa, Adele, that's all right. If you then color code them, you'll see that the beginning is the introduction and at the end you've got a citation. Then you've got the beginning, the Corinthians lacking no gift and near the end, men supplying to Paul what is lacking through gifts. You see, it's very hard to explain in 30 seconds, so I hope the colors would work. But if you switch the bottom half around, you get that. It just shows you how it mirrors each other all the way through. And at the very pinnacle, the very top, the one thing that you think, you know, if Paul was preaching, you go, and remember, if you're going to remember one thing from my sermon, it is 1 Corinthians 13. It doesn't have a mirror. Everything else does. And this is something that Jewish audiences would have been looking for. Oh, hello. They would have known that the way that you tell a story, the way that you explain something, the way you give a talk, the way you preach, the way you argue or debate, is you make sure that you lead your way up to the main point, you give your main point, and then you back down, but in the exact mirror of how you got there. And so when the Corinthians got this letter, they would have known the most important thing is love. And that came from a Pharisee, a Pharisee who came from a culture of, well, the most loving thing to do is to kill someone if they're holding back the Messiah for the good of the community. That's the most loving thing. But Paul doesn't say, by the way, guys, if there's anyone in Corinth doing anything wrong, could you kill them for me? Like, it's a long way for me to walk, so if you could do it. No, he says, actually, love's really patient. It's kind, and it's not counting all these wrongs. We're not sitting there going, okay, so if I sinned a little bit today, is that four hours later the Messiah comes? And Oh, but so-and-so, he sinned really bad. That's an extra week we got to wait because of that guy. It's not counting those wrongs. It's a real challenge to us because people change and context change, but people don't change a huge amount deep down. And when Paul wrote to a culture that was obsessed with what you should and shouldn't do and punishing people who don't look the way you do or don't speak the way you do, or actually they're a bit different, they come from a different culture, they think things differently, they raise their kids differently, we wouldn't know anything about that, would we, gang? For a Pharisee to highlight love above the law was huge. We forget that the Bible should be outrageous and bold and challenging It's because it's meant to shock. This was shocking. It's stepping away from what can I get from you to what can I give to you. And that wasn't part of Corinth. That wasn't what Corinth was, but it is what the kingdom of God should be. 
So, what I would love for you all to do is the next time you read 1 Corinthians 13, is to think this was written by someone who was probably punished when they were young by being told, you're the reason God isn't here. And it was written to a people who didn't understand or really understand what God was because they didn't have a heritage and a community like Paul had. And I want you to think every time you meet someone and encounter someone, your history is very different than mine. You're going to come to God and come to Jesus and with a different set of baggage that I've got. But Paul was able to be this meeting place between two vastly different communities and point them to Jesus. He didn't point to himself. And I think that's our call. That when we meet people who are different, who dress differently to us, who sound differently to us, who judge us just as much as we judge them, can we be that meeting place? Can we be that center of the chiasm that is love, that's not counting how they're different, that's not counting how they're doing things wrong, but begins and ends that encounter with what is love? Thank you for listening. To find out more about Locking Castle Church, please visit our website at lockingcastlechurch.org.